are starting a brand new message series that I just could not be more excited about. It's called When People Collide. And I think it's relevant to all of us because, well, you're all human and you appear to know other humans, right? And so that means you're going to have some collisions sometimes, right? You're going to have some relational challenges. It happens to every single person. So perhaps it happened to you on your way to church this morning, in fact. If not, don't be too cocky. That could be you next week. Yeah, I'm just saying. Because we all have conflicts sometimes. It's, it's part of life. And in this series, we're going to look at a number of conflicts in the Bible. And we're going to learn uh, for a number of things uh, by encountering these stories and how God moved in and through these situations. And I believe that we're going to find things that are really relevant to our life today. Today we're going to look at one that was a pretty big conflict. It was between an extremely powerful person and another person who would someday be powerful. Uh, it was between King Saul and David, who would be the, the second king of Israel. King Saul was the first king. And if you remember the story, you might remember that Saul appeared to be a great king. Like they, people thought he was going to be awesome. He just, you know, he looked the part. But he wasn't really a great king. In fact, he had some character flaws and issues that really, really limited him as king. And he was not obedient to God in many different situations. And so ultimately, God rejected Saul as king. And, sent, and God sent the prophet Samuel to appoint uh, David to be the next king of, of Israel. But the thing that was interesting was that there would be a long period of time between when Saul was rejected as king and when David would become the king. So that makes for kind of an awkward relationship, right? You know, like, you failed at your job, I'll have it someday, but not yet, because you're still here. That's not really a great relationship. Also, awkward because, well, Saul had this knack for trying to kill David. And that kind of puts some, you know, walls up between you, right? You know, it doesn't really make for a good relationship. So this is Saul and David. And one time, David was fleeing from Saul, as he often had to do, because Saul was trying to kill him. And so David fled. He fled out into the wilderness near the Dead Sea, which, if you've ever been there, is not a very nice area. It's a desert, uh, not the kind of place you want to be hanging out. But there is a really cool area called Ein Gedi uh, that is like an oasis. This is it, right? Like, this is the tourist photo of it, right, that the, the uh, folks in Israel put out today. It's an amazing place. It really, it was like that. Uh, they believe it was similar to that when David was there. So he and his men went to hang out there. I, I, in college, I had the privilege of getting to spend a semester in Israel. So I got to go there. Uh, here's uh, us. I'm on the uh, second uh, from the right, or second from the left, uh, on the bottom row, not the top, because I'd be wearing a girl's swimsuit. That wasn't really part of my college experience. But, you know, it's an incredible place. And, in fact, so David and his friends, they, they hung out there. They were, they were hiding from Saul there, but relaxing a little bit. There's no better place than that waterfall, by the way, when you've been hiking all day. In fact, uh, in fact we got to sit in it. And I, th like, I think that David wrote some psalms from that position, right? You know, just sitting in the waterfall, I'm pretty sure. Regardless. So they're here. They're at Ein Gedi, And his family comes. But interestingly, some other people come. 1 Samuel 22, 2, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Not exactly a dream team, right? Hey, are you uh, 
depressed or in debt or other, your family doesn't like you, come on out, join David's army, right? It's going to be awesome. This is who they were. And so people came out and they joined David. So it's like him and the, the bad news bears army, right? And they're, here they are. Well, Saul, he hears about it through his intelligence service. And Saul decides he's going to go after David. So Saul sends out a group of three, he goes with a group of 3,000 soldiers, not the bad news bears, but probably more like the special forces who are going with the king here. So things are not looking up for David and his men. It's looking like it's going to be a massacre. But David catches an incredible break. Verse 3. Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. The Bible's a very real book, by the way, in case you were wondering. David and his men were far back in the cave. So you, you got, we got to take a time out here. You can't just bypass this, right? Saul or David and his men are hiding. It must be a big cave, right? Because there's several hundred of them presumably in there. Or maybe it was just a small section of them. I'm not sure. But David and his men, they hear Saul coming. They hear the guys coming. They're, they're in the cave hiding. Saul comes walking in. And David probably thinks, oh, no, we're busted. He knows we're in here, right? But nope, that's not why Saul's coming in. He's coming in there because nature has called, right? And it says, by the way, we need to take a little nerd moment. This is important stuff here. Uh, translation issues can be a little confusing at times. And, you know, when it says there's some scholarly debate around this words, and Saul went in to relieve himself, uh, some scholars, there's mainly two schools of thought. Some scholars think that the better translation would be that Saul came in to drop a deuce. Um, <laughs> others believe that it was Saul was uh, taking the Browns to the Super Bowl. Very hotly debated among very smart people. But anyway, so, there's a little bit of junior high boy in all of us, I know, right? So they're in here. Saul's up there, and they see an opportunity. The men say, David. This is your chance, man. Verse 4, this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. In other words, go get him, boss. He's right there. He doesn't even know you're here. It's like the easiest, you know, just one whack of the sword and Saul's done. You're victorious. You're the king. Real simple. So David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe? What? Come on, man. He's right there. He's vulnerable. He doesn't even know you're here. It's dark. It's a cave, right? Like, you could do it. You can kill him. You're the king. You're the mighty, or you could be the king. You're the mighty warrior. What are you doing? Do, are, are you scared? We'll, we'll take care of it, right? You know, if you don't want to get your hands messy here, we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll kill Saul. Mm -mm. David's not happening, having it. Because you see, Saul... He had been rejected by God, but he was still on the throne. And David knew that Saul was still God's anointed, and it would be wrong for him to do this. Verse 6, David said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or to lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. These words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, if we can, I know this seems distant because the king and all this stuff, but look, you've got enemies too, I'm guessing. Or you've got people that have hurt you. You know who I'm talking about. 
You might have thought of them first thing this morning or last thing when you fell asleep last night. What if you were in a position where you could get even? You could get your revenge. Nobody would either know. Nobody would blame you. I don't know what it would look like. Maybe, maybe somehow you knew, you knew the security cameras were off and you could vandalize their property. Or maybe you, you saw them and they were all by themselves and you had the chance just to go up and just tell them off. Just let them have it. Nobody else would hear what you say. You could just be as mean and nasty as you want. Or maybe it's a coworker and you had the opportunity you could go and, and sabotage their work and nobody would know and it would make them look stupid, maybe even get fired. Maybe you've got some other plan. Maybe you've been working on it, in fact. What would you do? What would you do if you found yourself in a situation like David found himself? It's tempting. Revenge is always tempting. But here's the deal. Followers of Jesus, we are called to be different. Different than the rest of the world. We're like supposed to be this, this light that others can see or this, this city set on a hill. These people who are set apart, not because we're arrogant and think we're better than everybody. We know we're not. But because Jesus calls us to live differently so that the world looks at me and the world looks at you, that they actually see Jesus, that they see God's love. And that's true it's kind of easy to get that, I think, when it's, say, helping someone who's in need, right? Because that it feels good in our heart, right? You know, and, and not to downplay that, we need to do that. Uh, it's a very important thing. That's why we do Project 5000. It's so important. But it's sometimes tougher when it's a person who's hurt us, a person that we are not sure deserves this love. In fact, maybe we're sure they don't deserve that love. A person who hasn't even said they're sorry. A person who hasn't even asked for forgiveness. Saul hadn't done any of those things. And we say, justifiably, but I have the right to dot, dot, dot. In the world's eyes, perhaps you do. But God looks at things differently. And he calls us to look at things differently. And I want to tell you, when it comes to conflict, it's not about you. It's not. Well, I've got the right. I've got. It's not about you. The way that God calls us to handle conflict is not a me first thing. See, the basis of the Christian life is this simple phrase Jesus is Lord. Not Jesus is nice guy, Jesus is advisor, Jesus is helper when I feel like a baby. No, he's Lord. He's the leader of my life. So that means I'm called to do things his way. Let's, let's dive a little deeper into what his way looks at. I think that Saul shows us a few things about this, of how we can handle God, conflict God's way. The first thing we learn from David is don't hurt your enemy. It's very different than what the world will tell you. But David shows us, don't hurt your enemy. David had every right to be angry with Saul. He was justifiable. He maybe even could have made a good case to kill Saul. Saul had it coming. Saul was a threat. But David doesn't do that because he knows it wouldn't be right for him to do that. Think about your own life. That person 
or those persons who have hurt you, what would it take for you to voluntarily let go of your desire to get even with them? What would it take? Like, actually, what would cause you to do that? Romans 12, 19 says, Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. We sang earlier, Hallelujah, you have saved me so much better your way. Hallelujah, great defender. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it, that, that verse is based on this, right? Leave it to God, for he said that he will repay those who deserve it. He's got all of eternity to right the wrongs of this world. What if, what if I was willing to let go of that desire to get even? Because see, here's the thing. We look at it like, like a debt, like a, a financial thing, right? Like this person owes me. So I've got the right to try to extract some kind of payment from them, right? They pop me in the nose, man, I'm popping them right back. It's the world's way. And it may feel good for a moment, like somehow justice is served, but if you do that, here's the deal. <laughs> your nose still hurts. Punching them didn't make your nose hurt any less. Now your fist hurts too. It doesn't work, that revenge doesn't work in terms of healing the pains of the past. Revenge may help our pride, our ego, but that's not the way to healing, my friend. Jesus offers you a better way. The one who, while hanging on a cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He offers you a way that's different. It's not easy, but it's different. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a, a voluntary canceling of a debt. Why? Because you know that debt is uncollectible. Until you can accept that, until you can look at these debts you're holding on to, how everybody, this person, that person, that person, they all owe you and you're going to get it from them. Until you can understand that those debts aren't collectible, you're going to find yourself sitting up at night, stewing, hurting, angry, clenching our teeth while we sleep, clenching our fists while we sit here. And look, I get it. You've got reason to be angry. You've been hurt. I'm not downplaying your hurt or your pain one bit. I'm sure you got reason for it. I'm talking about what you're going to do about it, though. And Jesus calls us to a forgiveness. He, he taught us that pesky prayer, you know? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Man, that's a dangerous prayer to pray if you're not forgiving others. You're basically asking God to treat you in the same way. Forgiveness is an ongoing position of the heart. 
not a one-time decision. you got to understand that. So many of us, we struggle with forgiveness because we think we decide at one time and it should be gone. So I choose to forgive, and now I don't feel hurt or angry or any of that anymore. That could happen for you, but more often, it's a process. You may choose to forgive somebody, and 10 minutes later, those feelings come back. God, help me to forgive them again. Help me to continue to forgive. And it's a process. Many things in life are a process. The Christian life is, following Jesus, is the best way, not the easiest way. Okay, he didn't promise us an easy life, but he promised us a life of freedom. And I truly believe that when we forgive as Christ calls us to forgive, that we can find freedom. So I don't hurt my enemy because I want to find freedom in Jesus. Freedom from this cycle of revenge. Freedom from the pain of just holding in all this anger. Freedom from all that. I, I, want, I want to find freedom from that. And that leads me to the second thing I learned from David. And that is to make the first move to reconcile. And you might say, John, that's where you're wrong. Because you don't get it. I'm not the one who did the hurting. I'm not the one who screwed up. It's her responsibility or his responsibility to come to me. I'll be happy to talk with them once they come to me. Well, enjoy the wait. Because that's usually how it works out. And by the way, the wait's not very enjoyable either. Look, I get it. it may, maybe you're right. Maybe they should be the one to come to you. But that's not how it works for us as Christians. See, when we... When we hold on to stuff, and I, I get it, sometimes you have a conflict, you need to wait an hour or two hours, or maybe even a day or so, right? Like, you can't always solve everything in that moment. But when we do this long delay business, and we delay and delay and delay and delay, it doesn't make it better, right? Long delays only make conflict worse. Some of us were in the midst of a delay of even years or decades. It's not going to get any better. It's not. You might get more complicated ways of avoiding it, but it's not going to get any better just by delaying. You say, well, why do I have to be first? Well, Matthew 18, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them. Work it out between the two of you. Man, what would happen if we did this? If we took Jesus' words to heart? I can tell you as a pastor, I see lots of pain and lots of hurt and very little obedience to this. We tend to talk to everybody else about the pains and the hurts. You know what so-and-so said? Do you know what they did? Do you know what? Oh, I can't believe that's so terrible, right? Or we put them on blast on social media in some passive-aggressive way or whatever. But we don't obey Jesus' words to go and talk to them. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard. It takes some courage. Risky, perhaps. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them. Work it out between the two of you. We go in love. Say, hey, you know, when you said that thing, I felt hurt. Let me tell you about it. Or when you did that, I feel that you wronged me, and I want to talk to you about it. Maybe, may, maybe you may need to get somebody else if, if it's a situation where it's not possible, but, and, and I get it, there may be rare, and I mean rare situations, we're talking like, like abuse, 
maybe some employment situations, rare ones where you can't do this. But the vast majority of them, our conflicts would go so much differently if we had the courage to do this. And sometimes it'll work out great. Oftentimes, you'll find forgiveness. You'll find uh, the opportunity to mend this relationship. I've seen relationships go south over the dumbest things because we're not willing to just go and talk about it. Other times, it may not go so well. Or it may go well for a little bit, and then after that, not as great. Not as great. David goes to Saul, and he says this. Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord, on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. He goes to him and says, Saul, why are you listening to this nonsense? People are telling you that I'm out to get you. I could have got you, and I didn't. Here's that little corner of your robe that proves it. Because if I'm clo close enough to you to do that, I'm close enough to cut off a whole lot more, Saul, like your head, okay? And I didn't, because that's a lie. What are you doing chasing me down? You're the king of Israel. I I'm like a flea or a dead dog, he says. I'm not a threat. I'm not a threat to you. He goes to him directly. It's hard. David modeled it, and we can do it too. We can do it too. Maybe for some of us, we need to commit right now, even today, to do this. Stop putting it off. Stop delaying. Be loving. Be kind. When at all possible, go in person. Don't send them a nasty gram email. That's stupid, okay? Don't do that. Don't put them on blast on social media. That's even more stupid, okay? Have some courage. Go to them. If you can't go to them, call them. Again, we're called to, to do this. Jesus says it in Matthew 18. And that leads us to number three, that we agree to do each other good. Verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. Now get that. Saul had come out for the purpose of killing David. Okay? And when David goes to him, here Saul does kind of a 180. You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, he, does he let him go unharmed? Saul realizes he's had a near-death experience here, right? <laughs> kind of life-changing, like, oh my gosh, like, David, wow, I can't believe this. May the Lord reward you well for the way that you treated me today. And I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from your fa my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Saul returned home. David and his men returned to the stronghold. You will notice it does not say, and they lived happily ever after. Because if you know Saul, 
you know, Saul had, had, uh, some, he had some pretty serious emotional things going on, and he could go from one place to another place like that. And just the next chapter or two, Saul's going to be back at it again, trying to hunt David down. I hope that in your conflicts, that's not how it goes for you. I hope for the happily ever after, because that often happens. It can happen. I've seen it happen many times. It doesn't always happen, though. But here's Jesus' call, Luke 6, 27. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Man, that's hard to do. But again, Jesus did not call you to the easy life. He called you to the best life. And if something is worth having, it's worth working for. How many things in your life do you have that just like dropped in your lap out of nowhere? Maybe a few, but I'm betting that most of them came with a lot of hard work, with a lot of effort. And if you're going to be in relationship with other people, it's going to involve work. Because you and the other person have a sinful nature just like I do. And that means for us, when we get in relationships, we make issues. We don't want to make issues, but we make issues. Sin makes issues. And when we sin, it happens, right? And so we're called to do this. We're called to be loving. We're called to go to them. And we're called then to work together to agree to do good to one another. And you say, okay, so what if they don't respond well? Or what if they pull a Saul, right? And they're like, you know, they're good for a couple minutes and then they get bad again, right? What? Then, then do I get to get my revenge then? then? No. <laughs> We're still not pursuing revenge. See, there's a difference. And you've got to understand this difference. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, okay? Forgiveness is always possible. It's the voluntary canceling of a debt because the debt's uncollectible. That's what forgiveness is, and you can forgive. Why? Because Jesus forgave you. That's it. Not because you're owed it, not because they're sorry, not because they came and confessed. It's not about you. Jesus is the one who makes it possible. I choose to forgive because Jesus is Lord of my life. That's it. That's it. So do I know your enemies or what's happened to you? No, I don't. And hear me, I'm not trying to downplay the awful pains in your life. I'm not. I don't know that stuff, but I know Jesus. And I know his forgiveness of me. I know the forgiveness, the same forgiveness that he offers to you. So we can experience forgiveness. Reconciliation, I hope that you can experience reconciliation. It is often possible Sometimes it's not. Reconciliation is a two-way street. That means restoring the relationship so we can go on together as friends or coworkers or family or wh whatever it may be. Paul kind of knew this was going to be the case. Romans 12, 18, he says, If it is possible, and this is key, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's going to be times where you're going to do your part. You're going to be humble, you're going to be caring, you're going to be loving and all this stuff, and the other person may not come around. Or there may be some delay in them coming around. Your responsibility is to do everything from your side of things to live at peace with others. 
If reconciliation is not possible, you choose to forgive, you can continue to pray for it, but you move forward. Sometimes you move forward and you need to have healthy boundaries at times. This is important work. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive. <laughs> yeah. I want to be forgiven, but man, when I'm the forgiver, it's, it's tougher. So my friend, what about you? Who is it for you? Who's that person or those people? Maybe you wake up first thing in the morning thinking about it. Or last thing at night, you're stewing over it. Jesus wants you to be free. He does. In a moment, we're going to go to the table. And we're going to celebrate the fact that you and I can be free, not because of our own doing, but because he gave his life. Won't you let Jesus do that work in you? Empowering you by the Holy Spirit to forgive as you have been forgiven. To let go of that desire for vengeance. And to truly love. And to tr truly do that. God, <laughs> this is hard. And we need you. We always need you, but especially when we talk about conflict and forgiveness, we recognize our need for you all the more. Lord, there's people on our hearts. For some of us, it's a fresh wound. And this message has been really tough because we're hurting right now. For others, maybe this is a wound of years or even decades. And maybe we've got some pretty complicated ways of avoiding it. Whatever our situation is, Holy Spirit, would you break in right now? I believe in you, God. I believe in your power to change lives. Would you do it in my life? And would you do it in our lives? Where there is unforgiveness, change us. Would you confront that in my life and in our lives? Where there's need to go and to address some issues, would you give us the courage to do that? Where there's opportunity for reconciliation, would you help us to have the courage to take the first step? And God, where that is not possible, would you help us to forgive nonetheless? Jesus, I give you praise that you came and you gave yourself for us so that we can know you and experience your forgiveness. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.